Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy, cancer-free lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. My guest for this episode is Catherine Rolt, an author, integrated Chinese medical practitioner, and trauma and grief recovery specialist. Catherine, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you very much, Maria. It's lovely to be with you. Well, before we get into uh, what you do for a career, can you tell me a little bit about your background and your family and your childhood and who are you? I hope that you'll discover that one of my superpowers is ridiculous, absurd humor. And I have learned to be able to take myself and my family um, and all the adventures I've gone through much more likely than I used to is the way I'm going to put it. So my most of my family made an art form of being dysfunctional. They, it was very grandiose of them. They couldn't be just normally dysfunctional. They had to really make an art form of it. So they didn't, for instance, notice that I was almost entirely deaf when I was very, very young. And the only reason why I ever mention that is because when I later became a practitioner, I suddenly discovered I was very good at listening because I would put my fingers on people's pulses and I would hear. And then when I was in clinical practice, my patients used to say to me, you're, you're kind of turning your head as if you're listening internally. And I went, I am, I am. So out of every adventure, something good can come of it. So even the deafness when I was very young sent me on a very powerful internal journey. That's a, just a really an unusual story. So you were deaf for how long as a child or almost deaf? Seven, seven years. Wow. Okay. I somehow did learn to speak, but um, for instance, granny was Kobe. I clearly was, I mean, I've seen photographs of me as a child and I'm watching intently. I just find it really interesting that if you have a different perspective on the struggles that we all go through, you know, within that struggle, a gift is being developed. And if we knew that more, then we wouldn't be pitched into resistance. And the more you resist, the more something persists. Yes, exactly. So that is that is so interesting. So you had, uh, well, I guess you could see it as a gift now from your childhood. But um, what impact did that have, if any, on your deciding not to go into regular Western medicine, but go into Chinese medicine? How did you get to become a Chinese medicine practitioner? Well, there are two ways of looking at this. I, I think one very short answer is kind of haphazardly. And then I, I sometimes think that there's a, what I call a silver thread, uh, I mentioned in my book, or, or a divine orchestration. I actually ended up leaving school when I was 12. I was put into hospital and I never went back to school. So I didn't have any of the formal qualifications or education. I was encouraged by an extraordinary practitioner to consider becoming a practitioner because I, she thought that I had what it took and she realized that I had no 
I'd had no real feedback of, I'd had lots of feedback about who I wasn't, but I hadn't had any real feedback of who I was. So she saw huge potential in me and she said, why don't you ring up this college? I did some, I did as much research as I could. When you don't know a subject, how can you research it? So I really fell on my feet with the most amazing woman. And to this day, out of all the things I can't remember, I remember her name. And I write, I found the courage to ring her up. And I said, I, I really want to apologize, but I don't have any of the qualifications you want. But I've been told by someone I trust that maybe I have something that would be of value as a practitioner. And she said, I really like your honesty. I'm going to give you an interview next week. And that's how the journey began. But if I was in today's age, I would have to go back and do years of formal education. So, Right, right. So if you don't mind sharing, what did keep you out of school? Well, in fact, I wasn't diagnosed until about uh, maybe 17 years ago with a, a connective tissue disorder. There's a I mean, all these connective tissue disorders are relatively rare and they're finding out a lot about it right now. It's slightly typical of me that I've got one of the rarer types. It was already affecting every single aspect of my physicality. Oh, absolutely. um, Yeah. uh, For instance, I was put on the pill when I was 11 years old. And then at 12, I went from being able to play tennis and tap dancing and everything physical riding to suddenly I lost the capacity to walk and that's awful and then I I spent a year flat on my back with various spinal people kind of looking at me and not really knowing so that began a very long journey that to this day has meant surgery like other people have cups of tea I have surgeries So you have quite a long history with being a patient yourself. Um, I'm sure that has given you a ton of insight as to what it, as a practitioner uh, and empathy to say the very least, did any of that impact why you decided to go Chinese? Because they are very different. I mean, they're complementary in many ways, but what is it about Chinese medicine that it can do for people, even with your conditions as opposed to Western medicine. I'm, I'm curious because I'm a big supporter of, of Chinese medicine. I, I was brought up on a farm and we lived and worked around the seasons. Also, my father was an artist, so that was how he earned his living. So my entire childhood was around, in a way, light and energy and colours and and when I say colours, you know, we were always being taught to, to sort of feel the, the energy in the skin and the, watch the colours of what nature was doing, what the sky was doing, what the animals were doing. And I didn't know it, but I was already being trained in the natural rhythms, actually really underpin our lives. So it was extraordinary to me that I then ended up training in effectively Taoism, you know, the the early Christians called Christianity the way and Taoism is the way. It really fascinated me that I was suddenly 
beginning to learn something where you get to the roots of what's going on. Because if, if we get out of rhythm energetically with the seasons and with nature, then we are beginning to bring possibles. We're, not, we're, we're bringing problems into our lives, but without meaning to. And modern life has now taken us so far away from what our bodies need. There's a time to, there's a time for all seasons, literally. Right, right. And I, and I also think that Western, I mean, I'm alive today because of Western medicine, but I, I think Western medicine has, if you look at the traditional commitments that medical people used to make, if you look at the original documentation about it, and what it has now become, it's actually quite scary. And I think it's very, very difficult for consultants and doctors and nurses to be true to their nature as as a human being when they're now faced with a very compromised system. Right, Right. Medicine should not be business. No, you cannot put you cannot pe- put people's well being under profit. We we all profit if we're if we're well together. But if we now have a matrix where illness is profitable, then that's very very scary. And traditional Taoism really puts mind, body, spirit. And the need to look after your energetic accounts as an absolute number one. That's how we grow and develop. I apologize, that's a long-winded answer. I shall yep. try not to waffle quite so much. But that's <laughs> that's my answer. That's excellent. Well, so it's amazing because in Western medicine, they nobody ever mentioned energy or frequency or vibration to me when I had cancer, but it just seems that. It's natural. Uh, I mean, it is natural. It's the way of the universe. How do you, because you do understand it, how does that factor in how you work with patients? Because you do understand frequency and vibration. I think it's probably the most important factor. I work, I can, my work is very intense, but it's also very light. So I, I think we also live in a world where we're, we've I think we've really got it wrong about positive and negative. And so there's a lot of teaching going out there where you have to be positive. And if, if you're not being positive, it's, it's somehow making your cancer worse. And I'm trying to look at things very groundedly. And so what I do with people is I show them that if we don't clear the guttering, literally, we have a body that's like a house. And we have a guttering system. You know, most people understand about a guttering system. Right. And if you don't clear the guttering, then you get floods, for instance. And a lot of us in the Western Hemisphere now, are we either have emotionally delayed reactions to things that happen, or we're too frightened of our emotional states. Women in particular believe that being angry is wrong. It's not feminine. It's not whatever. So we're not aware. Or I mean, the word emotion, motion is motion. 
and we need to we need to feel what we feel and then move through it but if we're clogged up with accumulated losses or accumulated trauma or accumulated unresolved and maybe a lot of the time appropriate rage we we're not supposed to be passive when we're being abused we don't necessarily have to take it personally there are, there are things going on in the world right now which are not personal to us individually but collectively they are if if children in england are going to school without enough food in their bellies that i i get angry about that i i, I immediately want to do something about it that's my humanity kicking in i can't be sort of weedy about it so when i'm in a treatment room with someone i i help them access the, that stagnant energy and and immediately if you get the flow of the river within someone going then the frequency comes up but there's nothing worse for a patient and i've been that person you know there's nothing worse for me than going oh, i must be frightened i must be angry you know i'm going to make my condition worse that's I, i'm already piling a double whammy Whereas right. if I just ring you up, Maria, and I go, listen, Maria, can you please just listen to me? I'm really frightened. And you just listen to me and you don't try to fix me and you don't make me wrong and you don't go, oh, you can't be negative. That, that's, hold on a minute. You know, it's up to all of us, if we're able to, to be abundant enough in our energy to go, of course, Catherine, you're frightened. I'm frightened for you. That immediately clears the clears the rubble away from the water so it it's it's a really beautiful way of working because you're constantly making where somebody is right so that they can move on whereas a lot of western thinking is this is wrong and that's wrong and you can't have that and you've got this symptom and you've got that sign and I mean, it's it's sort of t- terrifying. So where, where's their room for you to be frightened? Which is a normal response. Yes, and nobody ties it together either. I mean, everything is very separate instead of holistic, which is, it, it's just kind of a crazy thing. The body is, is one whole system. It, it, it needs to be addressed in that fashion. So I know that the Chinese integrated medicine that is more successful in that way. It just is. I mean, it's the basis for it, is it not? Yeah. We will literally diagnose through color, sound, odor, and emotion. So even when I'm working with someone on a Zoom, I can pick up energetically where the season has got stuck. So this is a very sad fact. I don't know whether it's changed now, so it won't be an up-to-date fact. But when we were being trained, statistically, there were more suicides at the beginning of summer in a certain place in England. And it was because the light was beginning to shift. And when people didn't have the energy to go from the winter into the summer, that is catastrophic for some energetic states. So that is when you would think 
in a way that someone would be able to go, oh, great, the summer. But if you know you have no capacity to move out of your winter and everyone around you is beginning to play and be a little bit flirty and fun, it gets more and more depressing. So you just, you sadly take your own life. So it's a, it's an incredibly powerful way of understanding how entirely interconnected everything is. That is and my, yeah. you know, one of my big passions is to help people understand what we're doing with the environment because it's not separate. No, no, it's not. The other thing is, and, and I just want to bring this up is because I know that you've been described as someone who helps others find more hope and joy. And when you talk about the seasons and it may, it rings so true people, some people just can't move on. How do you assist? And especially people with cancer, I'm going to say that. How do you assist people like that to actually move on? I think, well, I'm going to start. Chinese medicine is full of contradictions and paradoxes. So the first thing that I often do is I don't attempt to move someone on. I, I will sit with them. And as a society, we, and a, particularly around ill health, we have such a fixed mentality. We intellectually get in there and, and we think we know better. And very often, even in our capacity to listen to another human being, most of us, if we're really honest, including me, uh, until I really, really started practicing it, and I still practice it, if I'm not careful, my head tells me what the patient or the client needs me to say or do, rather than being quiet and listening to what it is that they need, because they do know, even if they don't know, they know. So can I be patient enough and loving enough and kind enough to just sit with them and let them orientate themselves in the utter devastation. And most of us won't do that because we're too frightened of the devastation. Right. Unless you've gone through it yourself, layer by layer by layer. And if you've gone through it, then you begin to see the value of all. If you think about it, in, in the autumn, you, one day you go out, you're walking your dog, there are lots of leaves, it looks lovely. And the next day, as if suddenly all the leaves have gone, it's stripped. It suddenly looks completely devastated. You'd never think that we're going to have another season again. It's like there are no leaves, it's finished, it's dead. Is the tree, is the tree even going to live? It's awful. It's muddy, it's drizzly. Well, human beings go through that. And... If we really understood this next season is coming, we would be able to sit with someone in their utter, utter devastation and often a backlog of several autumns. You know, I mean, uh, I tell you, I didn't like it at the time, but in over three years, I lost 13 of my main emotional, my own choice of family, 13 people. And I was absolutely punch drunk. I, I just, every time someone was saying, hello, how are you? What are you doing? Are you having a holiday? And I, I was just, I remember thinking, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to be polite. I just, 
And most of the time I hid away while I was grieving. Now, actually, I did get through that and I've got stronger and I've met other people who've lost much more than me. And, and I just can be with them. And I give them comfort because I'm not trying to move them on. And cancer is a truly mesmerizingly traumatic, terrifying diagnosis, which has the whole world hijacked. It does. So you get that diagnosis. I mean, I've had a diagnosis of cancer three times. So, you know, I'm you really need to find out what does that person need right in that moment. Right. And it's Sophie, Sophie Savage, who, you know, she's the cancer whisperer and her books are doing amazingly still to this day. Thank God. Yeah. She will not mind you mind me sharing. She had the courage to sit beside a fire for days feeling the devastation and that probably prolonged her life and when she got on the phone to me I never ever tried to stop the tears from flowing the leaves needed to fall needed to fall needed to fall right she was quite brave and she she went quite a long time uh, and improved significantly before she left last year. But I mean, it is, it was a stunning how brave she was. She, she really shifted. She kept shifting the energy. She was given about three months and she did seven and a half years. It's an amazing journey. That is amazing in itself. Yeah. Lung, yeah. bone, brain, lymph. Yeah. It's a devastating disease. I mean, it, it just is. And it really, I mean, wow. It, I mean, it's why we're here talking about it, right? It's affected yeah. both of us. Yeah. So how did you as a practitioner yourself and somebody who understands energy and a great friend to Sophie as well and coworker, how did you handle your own cancer and how did you get through it? Okay. Th- this is again, another contradiction. Chinese medicine looks at, at dis-ease very differently. So in a sense, because we have a way of understanding the body much more naturally, it isn't so frightening. So we have to hold how terrifying something is being made to be, which actually is. We, we don't deny that. But I, I already knew enough to neutralize it. It's the only way I can put it. All depending on the character that you are when you are diagnosed. And I, th- I think every single person's journey has to be respected. And it certainly is never a competition. But if, you, if you've had all the challenges that I'd already had before my first cancer diagnosis, I already had begun to understand why it was that my body was going to keep on kicking up cancer. Because if, you, if we go back to the seasons again, my life on many, many different levels was so extraordinarily traumatic that it's like I couldn't catch up with the seasons. It's like I couldn't 
uh, on the farm, we were always clearing the leaves from the yards because if you didn't clear the leaves, the horses or the cattle would slip on the concrete and you'd have broken legs and all sorts of stuff. So we, we cleared the, the leaves and human beings, when they get something like cancer, often it's like an accumulated, it's almost like rubbish gets caught up. The, we call the, the skin your third lung. So, you know, if you haven't been able to go through the grieving process and clear the leaves and clear, then you need to get back to what's actually going on. What is your body? What is your clever body trying to tell you? Because you've got stuck somewhere. Now, again, this is another difference. When you have a problem in Western medicine, it's something to run away from. Pain is diagnosed, a symptom is is diagnosed, prognosis, and it's something to combat like this energetically. So you're, you're sort of put into a combative energy rather than a practitioner going, oh, I wonder what you're up to, Maria. The whole of you, mind, body and soul and spirit and the adventure of your life, is up to something. Is it wanting to clear away the leaves and sort out some unresolved grief? Are you still pretty angry about things that you need to be angry about? You need to, you need to find out what the anger is and then get assertive and make some changes. You know, or what is it? Are you, are you near some dangerous electromagnetic pylons? Uh, you know, is, is it physical? Is it mental? Is it spiritual? Is your food poisoned somehow? Is your water contaminated? Is it fungus? Is it bacteria? Is it parasites? Where is it? Is it a combination of all of that? But if you're busy thinking, oh, my God, I've got cancer. There's something wrong, something wrong, something wrong. Then you're already stuck. Right. That's absolutely right. So how the hell can you, how can you, I mean, how can you suddenly get joyful? It's very when difficult. When, you, when you're entirely focused, you've been, you've been made to focus on, you know, you're, you're one of a terrifying statistic. Right. You know, I mean, Sophie Savage's first consultant, and I was in the room with her, he turned around to her and he said, Mrs. Savage, do not let yourself become a patient. Wasn't that clever? He had the courage. He was looking at a woman that he'd had to say, you do have cancer. You have it here, 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 and here. Now, most people will go into a state of acute and chronic terror. And Sophie absolutely heard one thing she used to say to me. The one thing I heard in that devastating situation was Mrs. Savage, do not allow yourself to become a patient. And she never did. No, quite the opposite. Yeah. So the, the other thing that I always kind of, I always say is that it, it's very easy to read a book or because I myself did it, to read a book or you go and do a course or you, do, you learn something, but you keep it stuck energetically in your head. You don't move with it. 
And when I've got clients or patients, even on Zoom, I, I share with them our common humanity. And there's a way of being utterly miserable that doesn't get your energy down. But if you completely embody being absolutely, utterly, utterly miserable, your body gets lost. Whereas if you can cleanly say, oh, my God, this day is stressful and frightening. And, well, it's another day tomorrow. But today it's raining. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to impact you so much. That's correct. There are ways to handle it. And most of the journey through cancer is learning how to manage moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, just to get through it. And you try and tell somebody that, and nobody tells you that. Certainly not my doctors. <laughs> they never told me that. But you have to learn to cope. Your coping skills really come up. They get sharpened because there's no other way you're going to make it. That is the truth. <laughs> so you've had quite a long journey as a practitioner. You've had quite a long journey, perhaps a longer journey, as someone who's been on the other receiving end, so to speak. And I know it's led you to write two beautiful books. The first one that you wrote, Unravel Disease Naturally, Season by Season. Tell me about that, because obviously it comes from everything that you've been through. I mean, the truth, Maria, is these surgeries I have to have, they often take three years for the body to begin to find its way. They're like being hit by tsunamis. You, you just, they're big surgeries. I had to have five in six months and so uh, and I I lost absolutely everything in my life I lost my the means to walk and um, almost talk and um, I'd lost my home I thought I'd lost my career I I was literally just everything gone really lovely loving friends got so traumatized by the diagnosis and the prognosis that they just walked away. They couldn't handle it. So in the middle of all of it, I was, I was grieving my greatest friends. I was attempting, I was willing to keep on loving them and get to the place where I could be understanding, which I managed. But I was lying there and I was thinking, because I've had a very... Um, I've had a very creative adventure with what I call the divine since I was tiny. And I was thinking, well, I'm still alive. What a, what a privilege that is. Okay, so that's the beginning. I'm, I'm breathing. And I thought, okay, I need to be the best practitioner I've ever been to myself right now. And I need to find the first step and then the next step and then the next step to get up again. And then I am going to do something that I was taught. So we were, we were taught to diagnose countries before people. So I was having a very extraordinary experience of I was sort of diagnosing what was going on in the world. And I didn't know that it was going to be called COVID, but I knew I'm trained to know what's coming. And uh, I'm not a soothsayer, but if you're trained in a particular way, you, you know. So I was thinking, well, no patient has ever changed 
their behavior until number one, you make it fun. And number two, you connect it to the relevancy of what they're going to get out of the change. So I thought, well, wait a minute, we've got a real issue with the environment. And it seems to me that the next generations are, there's no connection going on. People don't understand their bowels, their bladder, their heart. It's like a heart or liver. Liver is like something you go and buy in the supermarket and you have it with mashed potato and beans. It's, it's not, they're not connected. So I was lying awake. I had obviously a lot of time on my hands and I was thinking, well, how do I, I'm very grandiose and audacious. I, I wish you to know that. I'm <laughs> sorry, guys, but it is very grandiose what I was lying there thinking. I was thinking, well, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well give it a go. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to attempt to build a company around sharing with people how interconnected everything is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can get the seasons out there because we need to get back to Mother Nature. We do. That's where all the answers are. Right. So uh, slowly, slowly, with a brain that was inside out and doing all sorts of very complicated things, slowly I got going. And, and we're here today, which is fairly staggering, I must say. That is amazing. Well, um, and that book has been very well received, but you have a new book as well. And I want to bring that one up and that one it, very recent. So the pain paradox, how pain can lead to inner peace and lightness of being. And that really speaks to me of all the joy and the hope that you tried to help others find what prompted you to write that book. You know, when I, when I used to have the privilege of having clinics and, and working with people physically, I just adored the privilege of instead of standing at people and talking at someone, I loved coming metaphorically beside someone and, and sort of saying, show me your view. What is your view? Who are you? What, where, where are you? What are you up to? And so everything I'm doing with this company at the moment is taking people back to what they can do to unravel the next layer of their potential. Problems aren't there as sort of linear. It's like you have a problem because you've got right in the middle of the problem is potential. So the way that we think of pain, I think, is making our lives incredibly tricky. I mean, pain is my best friend, Maria. I have so much metal inside me that I, every step I take is a privilege. Mm. And pain tells me whether I'm being an idiot. I'm overdoing it. I'm underdoing it. I, so I'm not resisting pain any longer. And most of the time I go to the consultants and they say to me, what it, now, we can't find your list of painkillers. Where is it? And I go, but I'm not on any. And they go, but we know you live with a lot of pain. And I go, yes. And they go, but what do you do with it? And I go, but I, well, if it's really horrible, I have a hot water bottle. And they go, what? So I, I really want us to, st- pain is part of our lives, but suffering to a huge extent can be optional. And yet we're not learning that. Suffering is optional. 
any physical ailment or condition that is chronic has pain. It just does. Yeah. And, you know, you can make it as easy or as difficult as you want in your own mind about how you're going to manage your day, manage your energy. Yeah. What you bring to the table, what you bring to life. This is your life. And I think when people stand, start realizing, hey, I want to have a good day. I don't care if you're in a wheelchair, you will have a good day. Yeah. It's yeah. what you make of it. I'm not, I'm not dismissing the pain. I'm not saying it isn't difficult. I'm saying you find ways to manage your life and enjoy your life. And I think that's what you've learned to do in spades and, yeah. and are trying to help other people learn that as well, because it's not taught. No, it isn't. I think, um, I mean, at the, at the back of the book, there's um, an energy assessment to see, you know, kind of where you're at. And uh, we're, we're kind of building programs so that can, people can go on this kind of wonderful journey. Because the greatest friend you're ever going to have is you. Right. I love that. <laughs> but it's so and, true. Right? And you need, to, you need to listen to the language. You know, what's, what's Maria's language? You know, what's Catherine's? What, you know, so a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is, is I'm discovering more and more about the language, you know, because it's, it's all very well you go from having a few people or, or you have patients coming in or clients coming in and you have a clinical, physical relationship. But then how do you get what I call the good is out to a bigger number of people, but just as safely um, with integrity and really give people what it is that they are screaming out for. Which is love. Yes. Support. Yeah. Yeah. So what about self-love? Because honestly, you know, self-love is healing. It is. And, and I think part of, the journey of those who are getting through cancer is to help other people understand who are in it or whatever, that the more they can find the joy and love in themselves for themselves, the better they feel. And that's healing. That's true healing. Love is true healing. It, it certainly is what healed me. I, I can't explain it any other way. I don't think there is one. It's the love of all that is the source. It, it, it doesn't come from me. It's just part of me that I was able to realign with perhaps, because I think our true nature is love. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess where it gets really complicated is we, I sometimes refer it to it as the, the little eye and the big eye. And the funny thing is that self-love, healthy self-love is beginning to know yourself well enough that you can put yourself aside Right. Put that ego in the back seat instead of the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you genuinely can be there for another person, but, you know, to be there for someone else because you need to be and you want to be is very different from self-righteously being there for somebody else because you have all the answers. There's no humility in that. Right. And, and that's it's, not what people need. No. And it's just not true either. No, uh, of, course, of course it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, 
You know, right. when I qualified, I thought the fellow practitioners were there to provide sustenance and loving guidance to clients and patients. I thought we'd been through the training for the same thing. And I was flabbergasted at the reasons why people became practitioners. I was kind of going, this is truly terrifying. Everything that you talk about is spiritual. It's a different way of looking at it's spiritual, it's holistic, it is different. What does spirituality mean to you and how do you bring it into your work? I hope I bring it in really lightly and clearly. Uh, I explain to people that what we all have is three bank accounts. We have three main bank accounts, energetic accounts. This is the way I put it. So I was taught that I was really trained. I was being trained in energy accountancy. And so what I begin to help people understand is that we have a mind, body and spirit account. Now, Western thinking is the mind is sort of in the mind, whereas we think the mind is in every cell of your body. So if your stomach and your spleen is unhappy, that is going to affect the way your mind operates. So you can do all sorts of processing in your head, but if you don't shift what you're putting in your stomach, you'll still be in trouble. So your spirit, your essence, isn't your personality. It's something that we are sort of trained to, again, see it, feel it, hear it. It's totally connected to what I call the silver thread or the divine or for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the truth. What's extraordinary is every single philosophy or religion that I have ever studied, God doesn't have an ego. No. God, God, the, the oneness, if you want, the light or the love or the truth actually is completely right damn slap in the middle of all of it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hand your will and your ego and your life over to a unicorn, I don't think the light or love minds. And I, I came into this world somehow having a deeply profound connection. And I don't think I do anything at all, including right now, without I, I'm constantly checking in. I'm, I'm not. My mind isn't going. Well, how should I answer that, Maria? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm literally tuning in and going. Okay, so it's as if I'm in partnership with something that does know how to live this particular life that I have. So when I get into thinking, I can't do this. I mean, last week, a lovely example. I had no expectations at all. I think it was on a Tuesday evening of the launch, finally. In fact, I was so exhausted. I, I, to be really honest, I just thought, I don't think I've got anything left in me to do anything. <laughs> and, um, and then I made up my mind on the day of the launch. I would just enjoy it. I'd have no expectations. I'd learn another skill set. And then I think within five hours, we'd crash through one criteria and then we'd 
crash to the other. This and is I, your book launch, your second yeah, book launch. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it was so funny because I was thinking there was a part of me that in, in my partnership with what I call the divine, I was going, um, is it, am I supposed to feel any different? I mean, what does it actually mean that I'm now this or whatever? And and I, what I love about my relationship with the divine is it's very grounding. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm constantly very lovingly and gently being, I'm being shown how to live gratefully and humbly. And I do my bit. And if my bit is apparently being an international whatever it is i i'm very grateful but i'm still the same i'm gonna do the washing up you know i'm gonna you know so yeah right and right. that's health that is it is i mean it, it, it's the way it is true health when you're connected when you have that connection and i know that you cultivate that for yourself obviously but i know you bring that to your patients that yeah, sense of of alignment there yeah, is no I, separation. I, no, there isn't, because it isn't about me. When I was very young, people wanted to call me a healer. And I was I I just knew that I I didn't I didn't want to be called a healer. And I remember my choice of I guess meditation is prayer. I'm I'm comfortable with the word prayer. And I I pray all the time. My my life is prayer. So I I remember praying and going, what? Why am I so, I I was very young, but I just knew viscerally that I didn't want to be called a healer. Hmm. And I remember asking, and uh, I got the answer really clearly, and I've remembered up to this day. I mean, some people, please don't get me wrong about this, some people absolutely are here to be healers. They are, and that's divinely orchestrated. But that wasn't my path, and I knew that I was just a, a sort of divining rod or a catalyst. My job this time is just to show people that they have it within themselves, and it's not about me. I'm, I'm literally just a person that goes, oh, hold on a minute. W- what about how divine you are, how connected right. you are? Which then many people don't feel connected they don't feel their divinity or the loveliness of themselves basically and uh but you know when you can bring that into their life that certainly is assistive in helping them heal which is what you do you definitely help them find themselves on their healing path you're a great way shower (laughs) i would i'd liken you to that we all have different wonderful journeys uh and hopefully we'll We'll both have many years ahead of us to to enjoy um, being with other people who are on significant and interesting uh, paths themselves. But I want to thank you for joining me today. And I just want to ask you if other people are interested in contacting you or making contact with you, what is the best way to do that? You can certainly buy the book, the paperbacks coming out in a couple of weeks time. There'll be lots of noise about that, I hope. And then at the end of it, there's this assessment, which actually helps people. Then you can go onto my website and there are some tips on there. You can contact me through katherineamandarold at gmail.com. You can get a hold of me on social media. 
you could just put your hand out in the universe and go, please. No, I don't think that would work. Well, it might work. You just never know. But if you're supposed to contact me, I think that I think and hope there are many, many ways in which you can. And, and we will um, post those. Yes, indeed. If you share your email, I can contact you and you can come on a journey. And if you want to speak to me, you can speak to me become too much of a diva yet (laughs) and I think Maria I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to personally be responsible for you know pulling me down if I become too obnoxious I don't think it's in my nature so I don't either (laughs) I don't think there's any any possibility of that so thank you so much it's been it's just amazing actually sharing time with you because what you yourself have done It's absolutely stunning. You know, everyone's entitled to miracles. I do believe that, you know, I do. So, and I believe our lives, all of us have, uh, are miracle minded. Uh, Our lives are full of miracles. And when you focus on that, that's what you get more of. Yeah. What you focus on is what you get. (laughs) Right. That's true. That is just it. I want to thank you so much. And we will talk again at some point. I hope so. Thank you very, very much indeed. Take huge care. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at mariabarnes.net, on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter at PCBY01, or on Instagram at Maria Barnes PCBY. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time. Copyright 2022, Maria Barnes, LLC, all rights reserved.